Since we last spoke to you, we lifted restrictions, Melbourne went into lockdown, Trump remains a bumbling lunatic, our firm promoted a new partner. Congrats, Kira. The youngest independent director was appointed to an ASX 200 company, and she's female. The world took the streets to advocate for Black Lives Matter, and our firm turned 12. Welcome to Subtitles On. You're here with Fee. And G. And this week we're talking about employee share plans, or better known as ESOPs. We all know that it's the people behind a startup that can make or break its chances of success. So with limited financial capacity during the crucial years of growth, how do startups recruit and retain talent? Today on Subtitles On, we're chatting all about ESOPs, also known as employee share ownership plans. Oh my god, this has taken so long for us to... We've had a bit of a hiatus, yeah, yeah. Yep. and where we've landed is that we're doing it from my house under a doona with our cushions around. <laughs> or in a hallway. <laughs> to try and block out the sound because our we haven't made it into the office because now the city is a hot spot. It's a hot spot. So yeah. this is the new studio. This Which is. I actually think we should just take a photo for everyone and post it. To we should. I'm not sure anyone show. will be able to see us because no. it's quite dark. It is. It is. Under this doona. <laughs> um, so I guess first thing to say is apologies for the big break. We yeah. have been crazy busy though, which is kind of good news during this weird time, I think. Yeah. Um, as per usual, end of financial year has been hectic. Um, we've closed a few fun deals though and are ready to keep on keeping on. We are. So we're back. We're back. All right. So should we get right into it then? Before we jump into it, I want to tell you a little story. Mm-hmm. It's about a woman called Bonnie Brown. So it was 1999. Poor Bonnie. She was living in San Francisco. I think she just divorced. Was living with her sister. It was pretty tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, and she saw an ad in some local rag basically saying there's a job at some place called Google and they're looking for a masseuse. And she was like, oh, okay, sure. Went for the job. I think there was about 40 people working there and her job was to massage the backs of all these engineers. She, I think, got... We could use that in our office, eh? That'd be great. <laughs> at my home office. <laughs> <laughs> she took the part-time job. She got paid, I think, $450 a week or something and then got all these stock options. Mm. Um, she kind of dismissed it and then thought, you know, look, these are never going to amount to anything. But fast forward a few years and she is one of the thousands of Google millionaires. You know, I think she retired five years later. She sold, you know, half her shares for whatever and the rest are kind of sitting there just, you know, going up and up in value. So that's kind of the story and that's not the only story we we get told but there's lots of examples of that. And so this is kind of what you're selling when you're putting in place an employee share you know, ownership plan. There almost is a bit of an expectation now when you join a startup. I know my partner works in recruitment and um, a lot of the developers that go in, that's part of their package. Oh, definitely. Shares in the plan oh, or yeah. shares in the uh, company. Oh, definitely. It's, it is almost becoming an expectation. And so startups kind of actually need to be across it. Your founders kind of need to start thinking about it early on. Definitely. 
So let's chat about then what is an employee share ownership plan? Yeah, so it is just that. It's it's usually a share or option plan. And basically what it is, is it just governs the rules for which the shares or options are issued to employees. Mm -hmm. It kind of sets out how many options you get, what basis, you know, your starting date, if there's vesting conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that the kind of documentation that you would often get is usually a set of rules Mm -hmm. and then your personal offer letter. I guess the more um, exciting thing or interesting part about it is kind of what's the point of them? Why do you put them in place? So I guess really it is what we were talking about before. It's, you know, about changing that mindset of people to become owners of the business. It's there to incentivize them, you know, to work harder because you are going to share in a stake of the success. It's to reward employees. It's to encourage retention because what you normally do is you structure it so that they don't immediately get those options. They've got to stay around for a period of time or they've got to achieve something. And so it's kind of tied to, you know, how long you stay around and performance. Yeah. And actually on the note of talking about stories, that's just reminding me I had heard it while on a wine tour mm. um, years and years ago. The owner of Veuve Clicquot, being the champagne, apparently the sort of clarity of champagne wasn't really a thing back mm. in the day. It was always a bit creamy colored. And um, the owner of Veuve Clicquot found a method, which everyone does today now, which is essentially just flipping the bottle upside down to watch to watch the sediment go down to the bottom of it. Mm. For years, she was the only champagne producer that had clear champagne now the question was how did she keep it a secret for so long well what she did is she gave all of her employees Mm. shares in the company Mm. and as you said it changed the mindset right so now her employees are going well we're not going to tell anyone else because we actually have a stake in it doing profitable and doing better and it sort of harks back to that kind of mindset of giving them a little bit of skin in the game and feeling like that's is not only just your boss's baby it is your entire employees the culture everyone's kind of exactly you know into it exactly all right so then why, you know, what are the, some of the good things? What are some of the advantages of putting one in place? It kind of runs off the back of what we were just saying um, in terms of getting the right staff on board. But one of the biggest key advantages, I think, is recruiting key people. Yeah. You know, um, you're adding something um, more than just what everyone else is offering. Yeah. yeah. The other one is obviously increasing shareholder value. Yeah. I think that's a, a massive advantage. Um, innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also the ability to compensate some of sal- some of the salary. Is another one which is interesting, I'd say, is probably increasing customer loyalty mm-hmm. and also just increasing employee satisfaction, happiness, motivation, and meaning. Mm-hmm. Today, everybody is looking for meaningful and purposeful work. Mm-hmm. And when you're a part of the company, um, that actually shifts your mindset into having that kind of more meaningful work. Yeah. It's probably really relevant for this period of time that we're going into where mm-hmm. – you know, we are likely to be experiencing maybe a short or long period of sustained economic hardship. And so how do you keep employees motivated through this time? All right. So it's not just all sunshine and rainbows. What are kind of the biggest risks in starting an employee ownership plan? Yeah. So I guess, look, there's costs that go into establishing it. And, Mm. you know, also there's some administration to them. So where there's vesting and, you know, you've got to kind of govern 
when people come in and leave and giving them offers and helping them exercise them. And also, obviously, in giving away options or shares, you're diluting the existing shareholders. So you've got to think about that. And then the problem can be, I guess, if the company isn't performing, mm. then it can probably, you know, counter the motivation factor if people are like, well, my options are out of the money. I just don't even care. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You just mentioned the dilution one. Let's just touch on that a little bit. Yeah. If you are deciding to do an employee share plan, what would you typically offer employees Yeah. in terms of percentage wise? So I think as a pool, you probably, I think the market standard is about 10% maximum okay. that and you would say that, look, we put aside this much for like our employees. Yeah. In terms of individual employees, well, it just really depends. It depends like what role they're in, how senior they are. Yeah. There are some requirements and we'll talk about different structures shortly, but you can only offer a certain percentage of shares under some of the um, ATO startup concessions. So you can't you can't have a shareholder who's holding more than 10% of the shares to be eligible for those um, concessional tax treatments. Yeah. I think the only side thing that I would say with the offering of the 10% pool is just, and I think we've actually probably mentioned this on one of our previous podcasts, is just to remember to kind of include that in your cap table. Mm. So what I mean by that is regardless of the fact that you may have actually offered any options or shares under it yet, investors will typically want to see that you've provisioned that 10%. So when they come in, they know at the very maximum on as we've said before, on a fully diluted basis, what their percentage is going to be, assuming you've already issued that full 10%. Yeah. And on the flip side, I mean, investors, if you haven't, they're going to say, you need to put it in. We we want to see a company that has employees who are motivated and engaged via share ownership, and you need to put an employee share option plan in place. So, it works both ways. Um, investors don't want to be diluted necessarily, but they also want to see it there. All right, let's get a little bit further into the nitty gritty. Yeah, sounds good. What um, what are the – how can you structure this? How do they work? Yeah, okay. So – If we take a step back, there's kind of two main things you've always got to think about. So the first one is the purpose of the plan. So what are you trying to, what type of human behavior are you trying to elicit from the structure of your plan? And what I mean is, you know, there's so many different ways you can motivate, you know, an employee. You might say, oh, here's a bonus that will pay for you at, you know, every year if you perform. Well, what does giving someone a bonus really, what does that mean? You know, they don't then have that ownership feeling of being a shareholder so then you say okay maybe a bonus isn't right all right fine we'll we'll give them shares and then you think oh but do we want them to be a shareholder or do we give them options and you've really got to think about the psychological thing that you're trying to to have the human behavior reflect reflect. I I agree and I think actually in our conversations when we have clients come to talk about employee share plans, it's actually the biggest part that gets missed because everybody goes, oh, I just want to do the typical structure under the ATO documents, which is completely fine. Don't don't get me wrong. Simplicity is always good. But I think for us, we kind of really do try and drill down at the first um, conversation to what that purpose is because there are 
a variety. Basically, there is no one way to structure these kind of plans. Yeah. You can do it any way you want. So that it's so important to work out. Hey, do I want my employees to just get basically a payout on exit when we sell this bad boy? Yeah. Or do I want them to actually vote at shareholder meetings? Yeah. You and know? to hold shares from the, the get-go. And, yeah. and you yeah. know, you should really – it's probably good to kind of listen to what your shareholders are asking. I mean, sorry, your employees are asking for because I think that definitely drives a lot of the decision making. And we have people, we have clients that come in and say, "Look, they're not going to want to just get a bonus. They're not going to want to just receive a payout on exit. They want to hold the share certificate and be a shareholder the whole way along." Massively. And then, sorry, then the second part of all of this is. Um, and and the reason it's really important is because imagine I'm giving so fee works for my company I'm going to give fee some shares now I give fee these shares for free but really it is because of her work and so the, the way that the tax office looks at that and they say well those shares actually had a value and because it's part of your income we're going to assess you on the value of those shares in when you receive them now Poor fee, so I gave her notionally ten grand worth of shares. Now she's got to pay tax that on that ten grand, but she hasn't actually received anything. All she's received is some share certificate. Share that who, who knows? May if, or may not have any value. Exactly, and so <laughs> yep. that's what we're trying to avoid. And so the tax office has a number of different schemes and ways that these can be set up, so that effectively that tax is deferred until either the shares have been sold. Um, or there's been, you know, different events, et cetera. So that's that's effectively you just need to come up with a structure which you'll need to talk with your accountant about or your tax advisor and to come up with what works best for the company. All right, so hot tip. When you're trying to work out the structure, make sure you first articulate your purpose and get the right tax advice. So, faith. There's a bunch of different structures, right? Uh. You've There's structures where the company lends the shareholder or the employee the money um, on a non-recourse basis. They get issued shares and then, you know, there's certain tax advantages to that. There's tax-deferred schemes. They're kind of one of the older ATO structures that they have. Probably the one, though, that we see the most with startups is the ATO startup concession um, employee share schemes so let's chat about them because I think that's probably going to be the most helpful absolutely yeah so there's two things right there's one is the company eligible to offer a scheme under those concessional tax treatment rules and two what does the the individual offer have to look like so what's what what do you have to do if you're the the company to be eligible now uh, I'll just flag the ATO, obviously, we're not tax advisors, so, but the ATO website ha- is actually drafted really well for mm. this. They've done it in nice, plain language, so it is kind of um, accessible, I would mm. say, to jump online and at least have a preliminary view. Yeah. But in terms of eligibility, it's things like, you know, you, have, you can't be a public company listed on the ASX. Yeah. Um, you have to be less than 10 years old. This is really meant to apply to startups. Yeah. Your, 
your company and any group companies, if you've, you know, kind of done the head co situation that we talked about um, in our first podcast, has to have a turnover of less than 50 million. Mm-hmm. And the company essentially needs to be an Australian company yeah. paying taxes over here in Australia. Mm-hmm. It, the structure of the company is meant to be, you know, the one that's actually operating the business. So you can't really use an investment vehicle to be the one that mm-hmm. I guess, obtains these um, tax concessions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, so you've worked out you're eligible. How do you typically structure the plan? What am I offering to people? Yeah, so there's two different plans that are available under the startup concessional tax treatment. So there's the share plan. So that means that you're actually issuing people with shares upfront. And the main thing with that to note is that people actually have to pay for those shares. Okay. Um, you can, however, offer a maximum 15% discount on whatever the market value is. So what we tend to find is that that people balk a little bit at that. As a company, you go, oh, hold on, I'm asking someone to come and work for me. Yeah. I'm going to give them some shares, but yo, you need to pay me for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a harder sell. And we don't see it that often. We don't see it that often for that reason. Yeah. The flip side of that is that there's the option plan. So this is an option is simply, I guess, a security that if you exercise it, it will then you'll be issued with a share. So what happens with those schemes is that people are given an option for for nothing. So you don't have to pay anything for it. But there's an exercise price. Mm-hmm. And so what that exercise price under the these rules has to be is the market value at the date that you give the option to the person. So say okay. my shares in my company are worth 10 cents. That means that when those those options vest to you over a certain period of time, you can exercise it by paying 10 cents and you'll be given one share for that 10 cents. Brilliant. What also is quite common in both of those plans uh, is – then vesting conditions. So you need to decide essentially, you know, when those options or shares will fully vest to to those participants. You need to think about what happens if they leave. Yeah. And just going back on the vesting arrangements, you can, what we talk, what we're talking about there is basically when those either shares or options kind of um, are unconditional. And we usually see that I would say for the most part, done on just a time basis. Yeah. You can do it on, you know, milestones. You know, if you're giving it to sales employees, maybe you do it on KPIs. Mm. Um, but really the typical thing we see is, you know, they vest every month for the next two years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you might have quite typical to have like a one year cliff. You say, okay, you gotta hang around for a year and then X percent will vest you then and then every month thereafter. Yeah. The other key thing is what happens if they leave their employment with the company. And again, this is just a bit of a philosophical thing about what you what you view. You know, if someone's earned their shares or options, should they be able to remain as a shareholder if they don't work for you anymore? You might say, no, I don't think that's appropriate. Or you might feel, okay, no, they gave their, you know, they worked so hard for three years for me. I'm happy for them to keep their shares. 
Can I ask just you, G, what do you reckon your philosophical, like, wh- what's your thoughts on this one? I reckon I go back and forth sometimes. Would no, you- I think they go. They go? Do you reckon? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I'm hear I'm sorry, you. I'm voting you off the island. You don't want to hang around. <laughs> I'll give you your value for it, but I just think the company should have the option, I think, at that point to buy people back. Yep. And And what we're kind of, I guess, playing around here with is the idea that, look, Regardless of someone leaves, if it's on good or bad terms, should they have? Should they keep their shares or options? Mm. I think I kind of, I think I kind of agree with you. <laughs> Gee, we're a bit hardcore here. We're saying, you know, even if you leave on good terms, you know. Well, I just think okay, so and you'll get and sorry, someone, you'll get value for those. You get value, I'll give you but value. It's year three. That's what you yeah. contributed to is to the business getting to the point it is at. I don't think that it's fair. That that person, if you then sell the sh- the, the company five years later, that yeah. they then get to share in that upside. And like, they were like only there for three years yeah. at the beginning, ten years down the road. You're yeah. kind of going, what? Really? No. And I guess that kind of almost brings us to another main thing to consider, and that's exit arrangements. Yeah. You know, so when you do get to that point in time when you are selling the business, mm. how do you want how do you want that to play out with yep. your employees? Yep. You know, is it that the ones you know there's vesting conditions and and say, oh, we've got an exit coming along. Does that accelerate those vesting conditions such that you know we all get to get yeah you know full value for everything? Or is it no, no? You've only been here for two years. You're only getting your value for the options that have vested as at that date. Yeah. And and what what uh, exit event triggers it? Yeah, exactly. Usually, it's kind of the the standard exit events being you know if there's a share sale, mm. if there's an asset sale for majority of the assets, mm. if you do decide to IPO, yeah, these are kind of your your typical exit arrangements that yeah. that you'd expect to trigger some kind of big payout. Yeah. All right, Fee. So I reckon that's most of the things you need to think about. It's funny though, we have these conversations all the time with clients Mm. and they come in and they say, look, I want to set this up. And the thing is, the first thing you really need to do is get your tax advice. So I think key takeaway at this point, go speak to someone, make sure you can satisfy, you know, whatever it is, the tax scheme that you want to use. Um, And then as Fee said earlier, think about the purpose. Yeah. You know, really focus on what it is you're trying to achieve. What do your employees want? What are they asking for? And, you know, what's your philosophy on, you know, them sharing part of the pie? I think that's it then, isn't it? I think so. All right. It's well, been fun and exciting to be back in the studio, a.k.a. under this blanket. It has. In my hallway. <laughs> I think I need some air. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're out. Thanks for listening. Remember, follow us on Instagram or visit the website at subtitleson.com.